0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Has anyone in here ever met a question box? Perhaps you need more clarification, a question box, as defined uh, from my childhood, is someone who will give you rapid-fire questions, often not even waiting for a response to the previous question. So, I'll ask again, how many of you have ever encountered a question box? Okay. How many of you want to admit you are the question box? Anybody? I've encountered question boxes in my day. In fact, I have been called a question box before. And for whatever reason, when referring to or thinking about a question box, often what takes place is there's this negative connotation assigned to that individual because of the reality that they ask too many questions. I would say here today, as we engage in this morning of studying, this morning of worship, this morning of engaging what it means to reflect upon and experience and explore the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it's okay to be a question box. I had uh, the opportunity at one point in a previous ministry setting to take some students on a 12-hour trip. And I loved the reality of the fact that we were going to spend some time in the car because those are bonding moments. That's times when you have some fun, you're, you know, you're traveling, and, and you make stops. And I, I, I set up some ground rules specifically for the students, and they were all high school students. There was about a half dozen of them. Some ground rules for what constituted a specific stop along the way. We talked about gasoline being an important stop we would make. We talked about food being an important stop we would make. We talked about the restroom being an important stop we make, and that was about it. There was a few places that we would stop possibly if we wanted to look at some things as far as, uh, you know, if there was a, a, a beautiful view or something along those lines. And hopefully, we would make all three of those stops at the same time. The trip was going along well until one of the students who decided he was going to park himself in the back seat between the two captain's chairs and lean forward and ask question after question after question, what does that sign say, what did that sign say, how fast are we going, how much gas do we have, when's our next stop, what's your middle name and everything else you can think of. And I remember as we were traveling, thinking to myself, okay, I don't mind entertaining questions, but to a certain extent, I need to catch my thoughts for a moment. And so I remember leaning back and saying, why don't you take a nap for a while? Anybody ever been there? <laughs> and I mean, fortunately, he was tired. He decided to do so, and it was nice, a little bit of peace and quiet in the, in the van for a while. But what's interesting to note is there was one other thing we discussed as we talked about, quote, the rules for stopping. And one of those rules was if you have to use the restroom, you have to give me a scale warning, which means, Pastor Steve, I am at a 9 out of 10. I have to go to the bathroom, right? Right. I'm at a seven, tell me what your number is, and I know how urgent the stop is we have to make. One being, okay, I'm thinking I might have to go one day. And ten is, I'm going right now, right? <laughs> well, this student went to sleep, and I'm just kind of making small talk with the other leader that's sitting in the, in the passenger seat as we, as we talk, it's quiet in the back. We're on a back road, actually, on a highway. It's just a two-lane highway in the middle of nowhere. It's cornfields on both sides. And as we're driving in this silence, all of a sudden, a loud shriek occurs in the back seat while this student jumps forward and says, I'm at a 10 right now. (laughs) And then this question box proceeds to ask this question, how far is it till the next restroom? There are good questions in life. There are urgent questions in life. There are profound questions in life. There are interesting questions in life. I'd venture to say that that question was all of those, and I answered it with hitting the brakes and pulling over. But I will tell you specifically, as we engage in this concept, this understanding of what it means to experience this Resurrection Sunday, that all the questions that might be coming along or in your mind right now is, is okay. It's okay to be a question box when it comes to God. It's okay to be a question box when it comes to understanding who God is or what He's about. And so let me just say right now, do you have questions? I can make this rhetorical, you don't have to answer. Do you have questions about who God is? Do you have questions, even when you understand, when you think about the concept of a man coming back to life, yeah, okay, I get it, a man came back to life, do you have questions on how did that actually happen? What did it smell like in the tomb? What did it look like that morning? How how did the disciples feel when they realized that the one who had come to be the king had died? And then how did they feel when they heard he had risen from the dead? And then how did they feel when they finally saw Jesus in the flesh, the one that they had just seen crucified? Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Have you ever asked the question, who is Jesus, why was Jesus necessary, why is He the only way, why even follow Jesus? You know, when exploring the seven promises that Jesus engaged, Jesus gave us as gifts over the last seven weeks, last six weeks, and then this week included, we've been walking through this journey of exploring the seven promises of Jesus— Exploring the seven things that he, he basically in his teachings and in his writings, or in his teachings and his preachings, he expressed to us through the writings that we read of who Jesus is and what he's granted for us. We looked at life. We, we looked at the concepts of acceptance and reward, the friendship that he grants. And particularly, we looked last week even at trials. You ever ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Perhaps part of that could be answered through recognizing the fact that Jesus promised that we would walk through trials as believers. But today we arrive at the most life-giving promise that Jesus ever afforded for us, joy. Joy. I ask the question, what is joy? How do we experience joy? Why does it matter? What is it all about? And it's one of those things that's kind of abstract. It's hard to, to actually put a pin in it. What really, literally is joy? Let me just say, Jesus provided this, this promise so that we might experience both earthly joy where we are today and eternal joy forever. You want to know why? One easy statement, three words. He is risen. Okay, some of you forgot last year, and some of you that were at Sunrise Service forgot. So I'm going to say this again. He is risen. risen Amen. Amen. I I was actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Pigeon Forge, and I was with a bunch of people from different places uh, around the, the Midwest, and there was two people in a restaurant wearing Ohio State shirts, and I said, I nudged them, I said, watch this. And I walked over and I said, O-H., And they gave the I.O. and everybody kind of, you know, in the the restaurant that was around kind of laughed. And the people that I was with kind of looked at me like, you needed help spelling Ohio? I don't get it. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) And I thought to myself how interesting it is to be part of that that, that group, that fraternity, how fun that is. But wow, what an amazing thought. What an amazing thought that we are part of something far greater because of the action and the love and the passion of Jesus. He is risen. Today we, look, today we look at and we, we draw quite a bit from the content of, the, of the, the rest of the series that we've walked through, and so I will say this, if this is your first week here, and you haven't been part of this series, you can go back and, and watch some of those. They are on our website, but at the same time, today we're going to touch on, we're going to brush on some of those as we march towards this most profound promise that Jesus gives us, which is joy. We're also going to look at this passage that reveals Jesus' mission, His passion, For all humankind, John wrote this gospel, this story about Jesus' life and what Jesus did, what he taught, what he left as a legacy. In chapter 16 specifically, he engages his disciples, and throughout his ministry, he engages with his disciples plenty, teaching them and, and, and helping them to see the way and to understand and to know what it was going to be like after he was gone. At the same time, he, w- he would help them to have, uh, you know, courage, and, and he would train them, and he would give them encouragement. And, and sometimes within that encouragement, he first would share truth that would bring forth this thing called grief or discouragement or darkness, The answer and the solution of our self-imposed separation with God is that of joy, a joy that only Jesus gives. And so if you want to follow along, you can do so. It'll be on the screen. I'll also be reading from the NIV today, John chapter 16, verse 16. It says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And here, I'm sure this is one of those, is this kind of a hide-and-seek type game? Are you going to leave like you have done and go on and pray? Or what's going to actually happen here? And so, the disciples actually are in this posture of question box, verse 17. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And after a a little while, you will see me, you will see me, excuse me. And because I am going to the Father they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? Is it, is it like an hour? Is it a couple hours? Is it a moment? Is it a year? We don't understand what he's saying. And so there they're kind of, hey, okay, did, did you get that? Did you hear the same thing I did? I'm sure John's kind of like writing it down. Like, okay, I'm going to probably publish this one day. It'll be like a part of a bestseller at some point. You know, and they're all kind of asking, and, and, and it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't just kind of leave them there in their questions, right? When you're the question box specifically, sometimes it goes unheard because of the fact that the person you're asking questions of is like, okay, finally, I've had enough. I'm not going to answer more. Take a nap. Instead, Jesus, He sees them, right? That's the next thing it says here in verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask Him about this, so He said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her, ch- when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time to grieve, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, I... A, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I will not say. I, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. And now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Verse 29 says, Then Jesus' disciple said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. In verse 31, Jesus responds with his own question, Do you now believe? Jesus replied, A time is coming And in fact, has come when you will be scattered, each each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And then profoundly in verse 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I think that last verse right there, I could probably preach a dozen sermons on because that that is so profound in understanding that God has overcome the world. What does that mean? What does that action entail? What does that… What implications does that have for us specifically? I'm going to walk through this passage uh, and we're going to take out a few things here and there and we're going to end on that last verse. Verse 16 once again says Jesus went out to say, "In a little while you will see me no more and then after a while you will see me." Jesus shares truth about the coming crucifixion, about the resurrection that was to come. Get this, the hours were short. At that point it was merely hours before Jesus was to be crucified. And simply a few days until he would raise from the dead. And so what he is expressing and sharing to them would have been extremely important, very urgent, because these are his last specific words before he passes, before he leaves, before this whole act of passion takes place. And while he knows what's going to take place in the life of the disciples, he doesn't, he doesn't stop, he doesn't pause, he doesn't, he doesn't step away from it. Instead, he engages fully to share the truth of those who he loves. Verse 17, the disciples don't fully understand, they ask questions, they're, they're kind of in that realm of what does He actually mean, what is this all about, and this, this, this whole thing doesn't fully make a whole lot of sense. And the big, the big point, the big reflection on this whole interaction to start with is this, the general existence of humankind is recognized in the posture of a question. The general existence, your, yours and mine, the general existence of, of humankind that we were born into, that we live into, is that of, in the posture of a question. A question of who God is. A question of, of, of what, what escape do we have. The question of why do we even live here? What is the point of life? How did everything get put into motion? Who is God? What does this whole thing have to do with, with me? How does, how does Jesus coming into the world 2,000 years ago impact my life at all? This whole understanding of a question is what humankind lives on, thrives on, engages in. Exploration, curiosity, a search for an answer. Next week, I'll just give you kind of a quick preview. Next week, we are, uh, we're going to have a standalone service talking about the will of God and following the will of God. But in the month of May, we're going to walk through a series called Questions where we express and we engage in some of the questions. Who is God? Is there a God? Who am I? Why, why am I here? Where do people come from? What is my purpose for life? It's interesting as we look at this thought, these, these thoughts of, of questions, that Jesus doesn't leave anyone in the dust. In fact, He embraces, just like we've talked about a couple of weeks ago, the reality is that while those individuals were there, while those individuals are still engaging, He saw them. God sees those in His midst. God sees and hears those questions. God does not leave nor forsake You find it interesting that the same questions have been asked, have been being asked for thousands of years, and the response is still the same. Jesus sees us in the midst of darkness, in the midst of our separation, and He loves us. Jesus sees us in our sin, sees us in our our, our willful disobedience to Him, and He loves us. And then he goes on to share more impression of what it means to to experience him or what it means to answer that question, which is that because he loves us, he engages by sending Jesus into the world so that we can experience real and lasting joy. I would imagine that you're here today or you're joining online for one of two reasons. One, because you're a believer and you want to learn, you want to grow, you want to fellowship. Or two, because you're curious. Or maybe mom got you out of bed this morning and said, you're curious, you're going to church with me, right? Right? Whatever reason that might be today, let me say the answer is true, the answer is real, the answer is the same. God will and can grant you joy. But there has to be, through your willful obedience, there has to be a response to that joy, a receiving of that joy. You can't simply cognitively understand what happened on this morning that we celebrate where Jesus rose from the dead. There has to be an acceptance of that sacrifice of Jesus coming back, of dying and coming back. To life for you and for me. The passage goes on in verse 19. It says, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And the response to that is, What he's saying is, I'm going to go, I'm going to die. And for a little while I'll be gone, three days, and then I'll be back and you'll see me once again. It says, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will weep at my death. You will weep as you see me crucified, broken for all humankind. You will weep when you see the reality that you think, which is the fact that Hey, the one who was supposed to come and be the king is now dead. You will weep. And the world, on the other end, what we talked about uh, last week and the week before, the world that's set up in the context of this this understanding that, hey, there is a system that's being run by the prince of this world, but it's being run by the evil one that says, hey, I'm going to try to, in every way possible, foil uh, believers, foil the, the message, foil the gospel, and tear each one of us down. Why? Because we are created in the image of God, and Satan hates God, therefore he hates us so the world rejoices you will grieve but your grief will turn to joy timeline that's resurrection sunday Timeline. That's when 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 they are embraced with the reality, with the truth that Jesus has come back from the dead. And, and, and then, as the passage continues, there's this 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 discussion, this understanding of this transition from joy to grief and grief to joy. And the recognition that's more that, that's extremely important is to recognize that that when uh, when the world opposes God's values and often opposes all the things that God is about, this 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 joy that comes from opposition is also going to be turned into mourning when Jesus raises. And the reality is that those who don't know Jesus, this is the same thing that He's trying to impress, those that don't know Him, that don't call in His name, that don't experience this joy, are going to experience mourning. And that mourning is not going to be for a little while. Instead, that mourning is going to last for eternity. When our weeping turns to joy, that means that the rejoicing of the world will turn to weeping. Jesus goes on to illustrate the, the understanding of, of this process through the, the, uh, the metaphor of, of pregnancy and, and the, the process in which that goes through, which I know nothing about, so I'll move on. Verse 22, it says, No one can take away your joy, a joy that is granted from a high being. Joy is lasting and given from God and God alone. The resurrection would change things permanently, excuse me. The resurrection would bring forth a new day, a new covenant, something that could never be experienced elsewhere, bringing a joy that cannot be removed from the world's assaults. And then Jesus goes on to talk about how, in verse 23, about how you will no longer ask things of me for the Father. And if you were to read through this and probably read through with any kind of speed, with any kind of mission, you might miss what's actually being communicated here. What Jesus is saying is, look, you will not need a liaison anymore. You won't need a priest anymore. Instead, you can go directly to the Father. And we see that, that, that played out through the tearing of the curtain when Jesus was crucified, this, this recognition that all people, we have the, the priestly opportunity to be able to come into the presence of a holy God who call in his name. God doesn't ever say, oh, you know what, I can, I can return this call later, right? Oh, I'm in the middle of something right now, or oh, oh my phone died, or I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm sleeping, or I'm in the middle of a meal. God doesn't say those things. God doesn't engage in those things. Instead, God is always present and ready to engage with the believer. Verse 23 launches this new paradigm through 23 through 27. Jesus is talking about a new relationship between the believer and God, a new relationship that is is deep, that is real. It's not about following rules or about obedience, but instead it's about this loving relationship between God and His creation, you and I. A new day is dawned, and all believers, they they become those who can engage with their God. Jesus reframes the question that they should be asking. Rather than what, he says who. In whose name should you be asking these things? Asking in God's name, a deeper communion with him. And the point is this, if you're following your note guide, Jesus is the answer to life's eternal questions. Jesus is the answer to life's eternal questions. The reality is that the questions that we have, why are we here to serve and love God, to engage in relationship with him? What, what, who am I? I am a person created in the image of God. What hope do we have? That hope we have is in the action and the person of a mighty God in the character and nature of a God who chose to come and to die for you and for me. Why do I exist? What is it all for? Who am I here for? If you ever went to Sunday school when you were younger, and I think I've said this on this platform before, usually the answer was one of two things. When somebody asked a question, it was either Moses or Jesus. Let me tell you, this time it's Jesus. (laughs) What am I here for? Who am I? Jumping down to verse 29, then Jesus' disciples said, You are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And here are these final words that they share, like, okay, we get it. We're on board. We totally understand. And then Jesus, in his typical way, he responds with a question himself. In verse 31, it says, do you now believe? And I have to wonder what the tone was there. Do you now believe? Do you now believe? Do you now believe? Maybe it was all of those. What does it mean to believe? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean to believe first. What it doesn't mean is that your life is finished and that you now live without purpose. Everything's good. I, I, I've entered the, the, the realm of belief. Everything's all set. I can just kind of walk through things. Maybe, maybe you believe this, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you believe that you're automatically perfect or that you live without sin. In most cases, you're not going to be delivered from every perfect sin right away as soon as you believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're going to do everything right all the time. It could happen. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you give up who you are and become a robot oftentimes people think well I don't want to become a believer because then when I give God the reins he's going to turn me into some zombie or I just kind of have to walk through the thing and I, I do exactly what he says no that's not what it is at all instead it comes to full fruition who God created you to be uniquely the way that he wired you the the passions that he's given you the gifts that he's given you he brings forth an opportunity for you to be able to live into those things You don't have to give up who you are. Instead, living in connection with Jesus actually makes all things in life better. Real. Whole. Your work, your schooling, your relationships, your your intimacy with God and with others, your music, your 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 acts, your other extracurricular activities, whatever you're involved in, whatever you're engaged in, God makes them whole. So what does it mean to believe? It means you, you, you can live with hope, assurance, peace. Love, joy. I'm not gonna get into those right now, but when I say those, when I say hope, when I say assurance, when I say peace, when I say love, I hope that you're hearing those in a biblical context, not defined the way the world would define them. What else does it mean? It means that you can be assured that you will live in eternity with Jesus, the Savior of all. If you engage with God, if if, if you give your heart to Him, if you say, God, I I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I am lost, that I, I am no, I, I'm going nowhere without you. I give my heart, my life to you. I want you to be Lord, which means the king of my life. And I want you to be my savior, which means I engage in this, this sacrifice you've given me. And then you live your life in accordance with that. And I'm simplifying it a little bit, but in, in essence, that's the bones of it. And You live your life accordance to that and, and strive to love and to engage with God the rest of your days. You can have the assurance that you will live with Jesus for eternity. You know, exploring this passage further, it's interesting when Jesus, he, he does come to his own questions. And here in verse 31, he asks, do you now believe? And I believe that in Scripture, there are things that are specific for a time, for the first audience, for those individuals. But I think this is a universal question. And I think that I would be wrong not to ask it this morning. And as we continue through and we kind of walk into the final portion of this sermon, I want this question to resonate through each of our minds and our hearts. Do You now believe. A couple of points under that about believing two things we can believe, and these are kind of framers for that. Christians should expect continuing tension within an unbelieving world that is out of sync with Christ. Last week we talked about trials and the fact that you can expect there to be trials in life. You can expect there to be things in your life where you walk through difficult times. You can expect that to happen because we are, we are aliens in this world. We are, this is not our home, and therefore we are out of sync with the prince of this world and, and the, the arrangement, the, 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 the structure of this fallen world. The second part of that, something else you can believe, is that Christians can expect a relationship with Christ to produce peace and comfort because we are in sync with Him. Get this for a moment. In a lot of ways, it's about perspective. In a lot of ways, it's about where you cast your hope. It's about where you cast your your engagement. And the the reality is that, yes, when tension comes, tension is going to come for all of us. When tension comes, there are two ways we can look at it. We can look at it as woe is me where we can say, God, what do you want me to learn in and through this? Because oftentimes we grow in the storms, we grow in the difficult places, and if we grow in those moments, we come closer to God, He will envelop us more. He will bring forth a new day. He will bring greater hope and joy in our lives. And then comes that key verse there, verse 33. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. I'm so glad John didn't stop there. I'm so glad that he didn't say, In this world, you'll have trouble. The end. But instead, he, he grants this so hopeful and peace-filled statement. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. But what does that mean? Jesus summed up the entire night w- and all the things that he taught by, take, by saying, take courage, engage in what I have for you. If we remember that the ultimate victory has already been won, we can claim the peace of Christ in the most troublesome times. Notice the in me, notice the in this world, notice the peace, notice the trouble. But verse 33, I have overcome the world. How do we define that? Let me just let me just do so. I'm going to read just a quick passage to kind of define what this actually looks like in the in the context of of who Jesus is leading up to verse or chapter 20 in in the book of John. We see that Jesus is, is, he is, he is given over to uh, the, the military leaders. He is given over to them. He, he goes through a trial that is unjust. He goes through a trial where he is condemned of a crime that he does not commit. He is beaten. He is ridiculed. He, he is torn down. He eventually is crucified and murdered, killed on a cross. And after he is killed and and, and it is confirmed that he has died, there is no breath in his body. he He has died. They take him down from the cross and he is put into a borrowed tomb. And then John records, as he records these things in chapter 20, verse 1, it reads like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they had taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where he has been put, where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still laying in its, in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had had to raise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And I have to imagine that as they left that place, they probably were in wonderment. Where is Jesus? Where's his body? Did someone steal him? Did he really raise from the dead? Was he really dead? What actually happened here? And, And there in verse 11, it says this, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. Which if you remember just a few weeks ago, we talked about God being the vine and, and, and how we are the branches and how God prunes us. She wasn't far off figuratively here with the fact that he is the great gardener. He is the grand gardener. It says, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will go get him. And Jesus said to her just one word, Mary. And I love the fact that he uses her name because he does the same thing for you and for me. He calls us by name. She turned toward him and cried out in Arabic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord and she told them that she... She told them that she had said these things to her, that he had said these things to her. I can't help but think about that situation where she's standing there weeping, grieving for what had taken place. Grieving because the loss of her king, the loss of the one she loved, and here they'd seen him. And just, I mean, it's one of those kick you while you're down moments. They had seen him die on the cross, and then he was buried, and now his body is gone, and we can't even prepare the proper ritual for him in this moment. And so at this time, she's, she's probably just thinking, God, what else could go wrong? Have you ever been at, the, at just at the, at the lowest of the lows thinking, I can't believe this has taken place, and then this happens too? Can I just tell you, in the midst of the tomb, in the midst of the place where you've suffered loss, in the midst of the place where it's been one thing after another, oftentimes that's where the great gardener steps in. And Jesus says, fill in the blank for your name, for I'm here. And there it lives out, verse 33, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That final point, Jesus is the one hope for the world. Jesus is the one hope for you and for me. Jesus is the one hope for the world because that statement is true. May we have an experience today and every day where we embrace whatever it is, whether we're at the lowest of the lows or we on top of the mountain, where we embrace this reality, that we come into the presence of Jesus. And once again, he refers us and recognizes and helps us to see. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Perhaps I'll end this question or this this series and this service with a question. Do you remember the first time you saw hope? Do you remember the first time that you saw someone else experience real and lasting hope? Much of my family lives in northern Ohio, but much of my, um, on my dad's side, much of the family lives in a place called Blairsville, Georgia, which is just a small town, kind of north of Atlanta. And I remember one time we went down there as a family, and we, were, we went to the, the church that most of the family went to down there, and as we were there, uh, they, they had built onto the church several times, but as we were there, we went to the, the original part of the church, and we went into this little room, and my dad tells the story specifically about how, hey, the first time I came in this room, it was here for a vacation, Bible school, and, and, and you know, I, I was just, my eyes were open up, and I was like, what are you talking about? We get in there, and he begins to run from place to place. You know, this altar, this little altar was over there, and, and I kneeled right here, and, the, and he's going through when he accepted Jesus. I'd like to go into that story a little bit more, but I don't think I can. What I do know is that as I think about that and that moment when I was standing there, God was blessing me with the opportunity to recognize that I was seeing real hope It wasn't long after that that I, I experienced a, a moment, a fresh and anew where I experienced real hope of my own, and I recognize the fact that in a lot of ways that God uses hope to bring more hope. He, it's a contagious thing, and, and as He does that, He brings forth this opportunity for us to be able to know Him and grow in Him, and maybe there's nobody in your life. Maybe you're joining us online, or maybe you're here right now, and you feel isolated. You feel like you're the only one. You feel like you don't really fully understand what's going on, and so you're like, well, I don't have anybody in my life that I can experience hope from, Perhaps Mary's story can be enough for you today. I'm not saying that Scripture, you're going to sit down and read it, it's going to answer every question that you have in life. And I know that it's broad strokes for me to paint it and say that Jesus is the answer to all things and all things that we have. But let me just tell you, He really is the answer to life's eternal questions. And so let me ask you again uh, two questions. The first one again is, do you remember the first time you saw hope? And the second question is this, is he your hope today? I'm going to close in prayer uh, in just a moment. I want to give us just a moment of reflection. And here's what I want you to do with your moment of reflection. First, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've experienced the hope of Jesus, I want you to just kind of reflect upon that conversion or that life or the the, the moments that have taken place where you can experience, where you can refresh those moments that you experienced (coughs) hope in Jesus. Or perhaps you're here right now and you've never experienced Jesus. You've never given your heart to Him. You don't know what this is all about. You're walking through a, a difficult time. Or maybe, you're, maybe things are good and everything's fine. You're like, but I don't really need Jesus. I've got it all figured out. But deep down you know there's a lack. There's, a, there's, a, there's something. There's a void. I should reflect upon maybe this is the moment to which you experience His real and lasting eternal Maybe it's a moment where you say, I I want more of this hope. I've I've experienced Him. I've accepted Christ, but it's been a while since I've really grown. It's been a while since I've said yes. Or maybe you're holding back something, you know, something where you say, you know, I can can do this on my own. Maybe you're holding on to a worry or something in your life, and God's saying, I want to give you real hope, but for whatever reason, you keep rejecting it. You keep holding back. You keep saying no. You keep putting up a stop sign. Maybe today's the day where you hand whatever it might be over, and you say, God, I want to take those next steps with you. I want to experience that real and whole hope that Mary experienced when she stood and looked your Savior in the eyes and realized and recognized the full circle of the hope that He brings. This morning, if you make a commitment, we're going to pray. If you make a commitment, I want to ask you to do one of two things. Number one, those connect cards that are in the seat in front of you, unless you've already filled it out, you can write on the back if you want to. I want to encourage you to to fill that out. And I want you to mark on there, you, you decided to become a believer today you gave your heart to Jesus. Perhaps there's a a step you're taking today, maybe a a rededication, maybe you're you're giving something open. If you want us to know about that, and you can even put on there that you just want, you know, you just want the pastoral staff to see, that would be fine. Whatever you want to put, you write that on there. Just take it either to the information center or ushers will be in the back and they'll be collecting cards as well. But we want to be able to continue to follow up with you. We want to be able to pray alongside you because you and I both know that whenever we step forward in faith, we're not the only ones that see that. No, the evil one sees it too, and he wants to trick you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to tear you down. He wants to make you think and believe that nothing really happened. And that's why God created us to be communal beings, so we can edify each other. We can lift each other up. We can point each other towards him. And so I'm going to give you a moment to reflect, and then we're going to pray. And I want to encourage you to respond either in in writing or the second thing, which I didn't mention yet, I will right now, is is to come and talk to myself or one of the other uh, leaders here at the church. Because I want, to, I want to celebrate with you. Selfishly, I want to experience your hope. Because it does spur us on with one another. Let's reflect and then let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we come in this place, we join in one accord, we sing, and and we fellowship, and we give, and, and God, we read your word, and we can't help but be impacted by your message, your request of us. God, on this Resurrection Sunday, we recognize the fact that you've changed everything. Nothing is the same. Nothing is as it was. Nothing is, is, is where, it, where, it, where it was before in the understanding of the disciples' minds or beyond. But instead, God, you brought forth an opportunity for us, your creation. The ones who uh, live in, in a sin nature, the ones who are separated from you, the ones who can do nothing on our own, you created the opportunity for us to experience hope. And through that hope, joy. And so God, as we come to you in this moment this morning, God, may we recognize the fact that oftentimes you work within our timeline because we live in time and you you can't force us to do anything. But may this not be a moment where any of us allow it to pass by. May we not be thinking about the things that activities we have going on this afternoon or the trip we need to make to so and so's house, whatever it might be, God. But instead, may we be focused right now in this place. Maybe we respond to you. Maybe we experience you. Maybe we understand you. God, I pray this morning for the one or the ones that are here now that don't know you, God, that while the the message that I gave is only, you know, from this specific portion of Scripture and you have so much more you want to teach, may your Holy Spirit uh, go beyond any deficiency or any lack that I have or that we have as humans and, and impress and share the real and lasting truth that only you can give. God, have your way. God, do your work. Help us, Father, to respond and be open to your leading, your guiding. We thank you for all you do. We thank you for the way that you move, the way, God, that you, that you lead us, that you guide us, that you grant us afresh and anew, the new covenant that you have fulfilled, that you have granted to us. God, I pray that today we celebrate not just with family and friends, having a good time and and engaging in a holiday, but may we celebrate the fact that we serve a God who lives. Thank you, God, for all you do. Thank you for the way you move us, you transform us and change us. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. Let me read that verse for you one more time. Just hear this over you. In this world, You will have trouble, but take hope, take heart. I have overcome the world. He is risen. risen Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.